There was a man, the story goes, who uh, one afternoon he was feeling bad because, you know, he and his wife had this big old fight the day before and he was just feeling terrible about this. So he decided to call home and, you know, see if he could apologize to his wife and, you know, get things straight and all that. So he called uh, home, maid picked up the phone and he asked for his, his wife by name and the maid said, oh no, she's, she can't be interrupted. He said, well, what do you mean she can't be interrupted? Well, her boyfriend came over, and she's upstairs with her boyfriend, and she said, I don't want to be interrupted. And the man was furious. He was just furious. He's enraged. He said, okay, you know where I keep the shotgun? And she said, well, yeah. He says, okay, get the shotgun, load it, and go shoot them both. She said, well, all right. So she put the phone down, and he's listening, and sure enough, he hears a couple of blasts. She comes back on the phone. She says, okay, it's done. What, what should I do with the bodies? He said, well, throw them in the pool, and I'll take care of it when I get home. He said, well, we don't have a pool. He said, is this 738-2917? Some advice is wrong advice. It will hurt us. Some advice, how many, I'm not going to ask a show of hands, but, but how many of us have been the victim of wrong advice that we thought we could trust this person? Advice like, uh, uh, this is a sure deal. Man, this is a sure deal. No way. You can't lose on this one. Or you two should get married. <laughs> you guys are made for each other. Or what could go wrong? How many of us have been victims of what could go wrong advice? Uh, bad advice we, is, is that which will lead us where we don't want to go. And what's scary is sometimes we can trust the person who gives it. They might be a good person. Uh, Bad advice is really difficult to, to give in some, when somebody's life is crashed. You ever been in a situation where someone's life is crashed and you just kind of run from it because you just don't know what to say? It's not that you're being rude and it's not that you're a mean person. You just, you're sparing them from your ignorance because you know you walk into their situation, you'll say something stupid and you'll look like an idiot. And, when I was at uh, Columbia uh, Bible College in South Carolina, one Sunday I remember I came back from church parked my, my car, I kind of backed into my spot. No one was in the parking lot, hot day. And as I got out of my car, car door right next to me, uh, the driver was still sitting in it. Windows were down, but, but he was, you could tell he was bothered. So I got out of my car and said, hey, how you doing? And he looked up at me, tears streaming down his face. You could tell he'd been crying for quite some time. He said, I'm doing awful. What do you say? I said, well, all right, I'll talk to you later. And walked away. I'm thinking, oh, what an idiot. Don't come to me for counseling. Please don't come for me. That's not a gift of mine. And it certainly wasn't then. Bad, tough, tough situations. It is difficult to offer good counsel. And yet we know scripture says that like apples of gold and settings of silver, so is a word fitly spoken. And at those times when someone's life is really struggling, they are most open. And they are most looking for answers. And so if you have a word fitly spoken, it is perfect. The timing is wonderful. What you can do. The opposite of that is also going to be true then. Like apples with worms in them in toxic waste is a word misspoken. And you've probably seen that when somebody has said something to you and they probably meant right. It rubs you the wrong way. It rubs you the wrong way. Well, what do we do when these situations come up? Because you will have them. Because Job's story is your story and my story as well. But it's your friend's story. And so there'll be a time sooner or later when somebody that you love, their life crashes. 
whether it's a health thing or a kid's thing or a marriage thing or a financial thing, somewhere things are going to crash for somebody that you love. What are you going to do? Because our tendency, your tendency, my tendency is to run. We're going to walk the other way. That's, we're just going to wait for things to settle down and we're just going to pretend like things never happened and we're just going to keep moving on. That's our tendency. And when we do that, we miss an incredible opportunity for ministry that God has brought to us. So instead of walking away, we need to walk towards it. But again, how do you handle that? What do you do? Well, let's look this morning. If you've got your Bibles, Job chapter 2. Job's friends. Oh, yeah, Job's friends. These are friends that don't have a brain, that don't have a heart. Uh, they've got lots of courage, though. You know, they're, they're going to say all kinds of things here. But Job chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Let's start there. It says, When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They, they began to weep and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads and they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, if this is all we knew about Job's friends, what could we say? I mean, these are like model friends, right? These are good guys. We know they're dedicated to Job. Actually, they're going to say stuff throughout the text um, that makes you think that they're in a covenant with Job. Kind of like David and Jonathan were in a covenant with each other. Like a marriage covenant sort of deal. Maybe these guys are their men's frat small group. Maybe these guys were in life group for a long time and they you know, raised each other's kids. These are Job's best friends. These are, it's important to realize when someone's life really crashes, it can't be a tangential relationship and you try to step in and be their best friend at that point. It's not the time to be their best friend. You just haven't earned that right yet. But these guys are there. These guys invest time, don't they? I mean, keep in mind, this is, this is Job, the greatest man in the East. So who are his friends, do you think? Well, he's probably number two, three, and four greatest men in the East. These guys are busy, high-powered folk. They've got a lot of stuff going on. They do not have time for this. But what do they do? They take the time. They're intentional. They have to leave their homes. So they're not living down the block from him. And they had to come together. They went out of their way. They walked towards their friend in pain. They didn't walk away from it. They didn't just stay at home and say, I just don't have time. They walked towards it. They went there. They loved him, obviously. They cried. They ripped their robes. It's a sign of mourning. And you, you, you see this, this picture? All these guys are sitting on the ash heap with Job. Job's on the, in the garbage dump. He's scratching his sores. And these other guys are sitting right with him, putting dust on their head, bawling like babies. They got their robes ripped. They're not scratching any sores, but they're crying with him. And they're there for a week. They uh, would become a Jewish tradition, even... Today, Shiva. These friends aren't, aren't bad. Matter of fact, Job loves these guys. He feels comforted by these guys. So much so that he opens his mouth. And Job begins to release what's in his heart. And he knows he can trust these guys. At least he thinks he can. He's got a relationship with them. They've been so good to him. He's going to put to words what's going on in his heart. And so he talks. 
Chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. So important. Because remember, Satan said he would curse God. Matter of fact, you never find the whole book. You don't find Job cursing God. But he curses the day of his birth. He says, may the day of my birth perish. And the night it was said, a boy is born. He just wishes he was never alive. Verse 11. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Verse 16, or why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? Perhaps he's saying there, maybe it had been better if I was never conceived. I didn't want to be around. Verse 20, he says, why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death and it does not come, who search for death more than hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave? What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. You notice just a couple of things from this passage. Job never laments the loss of his stuff. Throughout the whole book, he's never going to lament the loss of his stuff. Real important. He's going to lament the loss of God. He feels like God left him. But never his stuff. Also notice, Job is wishing he could die. But suicide's not an option. Now, I wasn't going to mention on, on this, but just let me just put this out there. It's not like they just invented suicide recently. That's been around for a long time. He wants to die. But even though he's a guy in pain and hurting, he's also still has a level of righteousness. That's just not an option. I've been there. It's just not an option. Not for Job. Also notice Job's words here. He asks five times the why question. You ever know somebody whose life is crashing? The why question is a normal question to ask. Why me? Why now? Why Why this situation? Why? Why? And you got to know... That, that Job's friends, Elihu, we're going to call him Eli for this series. Bildad, we'll call him Billy. And Zophar, we'll call him Zo. Okay, so Eli, Billy, and Zo. They're great friends until they start trying to answer the why question. Then they are Larry, Curly, and Moe. Okay, because they get it all wrong. And here's the reality. You don't know. I don't know the answer to why. And we can come up with the superficial answers. Well, there was a drunk driver. Well, there are other people out on the road and the drunk driver didn't hit them. Well, the person didn't take care of themselves. Well, I know other people who didn't take care of themselves and they're doing fine. We don't, reality is we don't know. And when we try to answer the why question, we get ourselves into trouble. We can get God into trouble is what these guys did. So when we're meeting with the folk and they're asking why, which is normal, they will. Don't try to go down trying to answer that question for them. Even if you had the answer, it is not going to fix. It's not going to solve. It's not going to bring comfort at that point. Now, there may be a time when you need to explore that. But when the kid's graves are fresh, when the guy hasn't had any sleep for days on end, when he's in excruciating pain, when he looks like he's an an inch from death, it's really not the time to to go down that, that road. Job's friends went after him not to correct theology, but went after him to comfort, went after him to sympathize. Well, Job's friends, uh, 
decide to speak. And this is so interesting if you look at what's going on here. Chapter 3, Job has not indicted God. He said nothing wrong. If you were to look at his words in chapter 3, he's got the same theology that he had in chapter 2. Shall we accept good from God and not bad, not evil? His heart is still right. But once his friends start talking, suddenly Job kind of shifts gears a little bit. Job changes a little bit. Now, the, the book of Job, easy enough to, to, to outline. You've got the uh, prologue, chapters 1 and 2. You've got the dialogue, which is the most part of the book, biggest part of the book, 3 to 41. And you've got the epilogue, chapter 42. Now, that big section in the middle, that's the section we often look at as so we get lost in the book of Job. We start in, we say, we're going to read Job, but we get into this thing somewhere around chapter 11, and we're going, we're done with this thing. You know, this is, this is boring. It just keeps repeating itself. It goes on and on. I don't know exactly what they're saying. They don't need, you know, 35 of these chapters. But, but the author's doing what he's doing for a specific purpose. I mean, it's not an accident. Uh, by the time you get, if you go through all those chapters and you're, you're focusing, you're trying to stay with it, by the end of those chapters, you know what you're doing? You're with Job. And you're saying, that's right. That's right. Where is God? I wish God would talk here. I want to see how God explains this one. And the author has gotten you emotionally ready. So when God shows up and he starts to talk, you're, li- you're not just an observer. You're in there listening too. That, that's what he's trying to do. That, that's what this, what this does. Now, you've got to understand the paradigm of these guys. Where they're coming from, what they're about. If you can picture almost like, like a triangle, okay? And at the top of the triangle, you've got something called the retribution principle. You know this. This is just, you reap what you sow. We know this. this is right. You reap what you sow, uh, which is, is that a biblical principle? Absolutely it is. Generally speaking, that's true. On the spiritual level, it's always true. In this, on this earth, in this realm, it's mostly true. It's often true. You see somebody who takes care of their health, and will they typically have better health in life? Yes. But we know of people who've abused their bodies in different ways, and yet they still seem to be doing fine. Meanwhile, we know of people who've taken very good care of their bodies, and still they're diagnosed with cancer, or they're in an accident or something. Generally speaking, you reap what you sow is right. A second element of their thinking, this paradigm, is God's justice. And they say, you know what? We know God is always true. He's always just. And we know the retribution principle is always true. You always reap what you sow. See, they're taking the always into the material world. Well, the third element in this case is Job's righteousness. And so you see what his friends are doing. is His friends are saying, you know what? We know this is always true. And we know this is always true. So Job, if you've got problems, buddy... This is the problem right here. That's the issue. Now, where Job's going to go with this thing throughout these mega chapters is he's going to say, I know this is always true as well. If you guys tell me, okay, that's, this is true. But I know my heart. I know my life. I know I'm not doing anything different than I was doing when everything was going great for me. He's not going to claim sinless perfection. He's going to say he is a sinner. But I know this is good and I know this is true. So my question is right here. And so you got this back and forth. The friends can't handle them questioning right there. And Job knows what's going on. And so you get this argument going back and forth through the whole, this whole deal. Now, this is real important for us to remember and know that from chapters, you're going to go on chapter 3 on, at least to, to 41, 
You want to be real careful about quoting because both Job and his friends, neither one of them are coming up with pure doctrine. There's a place at the end when God shows up, when he looks at the friends and says, you did not speak what was right about me. So he, God right off says there's some stuff in, in chapters 3 to 41 that is wrong doctrine. And Job is going to look back at what he said and he's going to cover his mouth and, said, and say, I said things I didn't understand. So be careful. But now, here's the caveat to that. They do say some things that are correct. They say some things that are powerfully insightful. Some incredible truths about God. And so you don't want to write off all of chapters 3 for 41 as heresy. If it was all heresy, anybody could figure it out, right? It'd be easy enough. A great study, I'll tell you a great study, is go through Job and try to figure out where are the errors. And you'll find most of it's true. But there are errors sprinkled in there. It's the way heresy works. This is, this is Satan's attempt. Uh, because if it's mostly true, this is true, this is true, this is true, well, that must be true as well. It's easy for us to buy the guys on TV or the authors or whatever else. It's easy for us to go down that road. In the book of Job, then you've got to have three rounds. Eli's gonna, Job, Job comes out. You've got Eli speaking, Billy speaking, Zoe speaking. Between each one, Job that's his say. Then there's round two. They come at him again. Eli, Job talks. Billy, Job talks. Zoe, God, Job talks. Round three. Eli talks. Billy talks. Zoe's so fed up at this point, he's going to enter in. And that takes you through, basically, through chapter 27. So let's, let's look at, uh, we're going to breeze through, but let's look at Job's friends here, what they said, what they didn't say. And again, keep in mind, up until the time they opened their mouth, Job was a hurting man, but he wasn't a heretic. Job was a hurting man, but he didn't indict God. Until they opened his, their mouths, Job was, was in pain. But please don't ever confuse pain with cursing God. I break my arm, I might scream out in pain. You know what? It hurts. It hurts. Ah! But that doesn't mean I'm cursing God. Now, I might say things in that, but they are cursing God. If somebody, their li- wheels come off their life and they are in tons of pain, them giving voice to pain is not the same thing as cursing God. It's not. But these guys, when they get done with Job, he's going to be awful close. He's not there, but he's going to get awful close. Bad counsel to somebody who's hurting is just dangerous. How many, do you know of anybody who doesn't come to church anymore? Because at one point, they went through something really rough and the church ripped them off in their mind. Somebody went through something hard and the church came back with, with uh, superficial answers or disregarded them or kicked them off to the side. I mean, this is, this is 21st century stuff. When those painful times come up, again, we probably have the greatest opportunity to speak into someone's life, to, to be Jesus to them in such a way that we can direct them, influence them for good. So Eliphaz in chapter 4. Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Eli speaks up and he says, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Think how you've instructed many. I mean, Job has discipled even these guys. Job has been a great guy to them. How you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. He knows, Job, you've been, you've, been, you've been nailing this stuff. But now trouble comes to you and you're discouraged. It strikes you and you're dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? Consider now 
Who being innocent has ever perished? That's the retribution principle. Where were the upright ever destroyed? Job, Job, Job. Job just asks why, why, why. He says, okay, I'll answer it. Job, he's kind of nice to him at this point. It's going to change. He says, Job, have you ever seen anybody who is, who is really righteous suffer? Now, of course, we've got the martyrs, we've got Jesus, but he doesn't have all those in his mind, I suppose. Um, chapter 5, he says, I myself have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly his house was cursed. His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. You see what he's saying? He's saying, Job, I know you were doing well before, but I want you to know my experience... Since he spoke first, he's probably the oldest. He's probably considered the wisest of the group. He says, I've seen unrighteous guys actually kind of blossom and take off, but then God gets them. And he says, Job, this is this? their children aren't even safe. Kind of back door letting him know, you're the cause of your kids dying, Job. It's a great, great friends, right? Verse 17. He says, blessed is the man whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. He says, Job, God's just trying to get your attention here. You want to know the why? God's just trying to get your attention. He's just trying to, to bring you back to him. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing, Job. It's okay. Yeah, you're a sinner. No one's perfect. I got that. So God's just bringing you back. Just embrace it. It'll be okay. That's Eliphaz's message. Well, then we're not going to get too much into what Job says this week. That'll be next week. But Job pushes back. On Eliphaz, wisest, number two wisest guy. Well, Bildad doesn't like that. Billy speaks in in chapter 8. The Bildad, the Shuhite replies, How, <laughs> Bildad is kind of one of these guys that is kind of cut to the chase, straight up, a little bit more in your face. Eliphaz is a little bit more politically correct and kind, got more of a shepherd's heart. Bildad is just kind of more of a prophet sort of thing, right, right at you. He says, how long will you say such things, Job? Your words are a blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Back to that triangle. We know God's justice is, is great. You're telling us that you don't have a whole lot of sin. In your we know God doesn't pervert justice. Does the Almighty pervert what is right? Look at this. When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Your kids died and you know whose fault it was? It was their fault because they sinned. Your kids were just a bunch of sinners. They got what they deserved. Now, how's that for counsel, right? Oh, my goodness. But if you look to God and plead with the Almighty, if you're pure and upright, even now, he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore to you the rightful, your rightful place. Your beginnings will seem humble, so prosperous will your future be. Now, this is real important. Throughout this whole book, all Job is, is, he's not lamenting the loss of his stuff. All he wants to know is, where is God? Am I still okay with God? Why, why am I not okay with God? Those are his issues. All of his friends are... Job, get your stuff back. You can get your stuff back. Just repent of whatever it is. Something's going on. Search. Find it. Come up with something. Make up things. I don't know. But just repent. Get God off your back. Get your stuff back. That's the friends. You know what? That was the words out of Satan's mouth, wasn't it? He said, oh, Job is only being kind because he gets stuff. The friends are speaking for Satan. Get your stuff back, Job. Live for your stuff. Do whatever you need to do so you can get your stuff back. If Job would have listened to the friends, Job would have been listening to Satan. Satan would have won this whole thing. So Job pushes back. Zoe, 
then speaks in. And you got Eli, who's the kindest of the whole group, although he's going to get upset in a minute. You got Billy, who's more straight up in your face. And you got Zoe, who can be downright mean. In chapter 11, then Zophar the Namathite replied, Are all these words to go unanswered? Is this talker to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce men to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, my beliefs are flawless and I'm pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. Don't you love that? Job, you're not getting even half of what you really deserve. Here's this guy, he's lost everything. It is injustice. You got the Sabians who are enemies of God took his stuff and the Chaldeans who are enemies of God took his stuff. All of his kids have died. He's got this horrific disease. Everything's going to be the only servants. He's only got three or four servants left and they've got to be hating him because their families are gone. I mean, he can't be worse. I don't know how you could possibly get worse. And this guy's saying, you didn't get half of what you really deserve. I think, man, man. What good friendship, huh? And I don't have this on the screen, but just you get a taste. So Job replies in chapter 12. He says, doubtless, you are the people and wisdom will die with you. <laughs> you guys are so wise. You guys are just so wise. I get in this verbal fight back and forth. Uh, Job's got a real gift for sarcasm. If you look through this. In chapter 15, round two. Eliphaz, Eli. says, then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, would a wise man answer with empty notions? No, no, Eliphaz is starting to get frustrated. He's just, you ever talk to somebody and they're just not getting it? And they're a little bit stubborn and they're not coming to grips with your great wisdom and insight? What do you do? You turn up the volume. And you also start accusing, you get in their face a little bit more, don't you? And so these guys start doing that. Would a wise man answer with empty notions or fill his belly with the hot east wind? Would he argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value? But you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. You're pathetic, Job. Your, your sin prompts your mouth. You adopt the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man ever born? Were you brought forth before the hills? Do you listen in on God's counsel? You just hang out with God. He knows, so this is why you're so wise and the rest of us are idiots. You don't listen to us. Do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we don't know? What insights do you have that we do not have? The gray-haired and the aged are on our side. Even men older than your father. Are God's consolations not enough for you? Words spoken gently to you? <laughs> we've been kind to you, Job. We've been nice. The words we've shared are gentle words. Oh, I'd hate to see harsh words. Where are you going to see them? They're going to come up. But he lays, lays into to Job. And Job going to push back a little. Chapter 16, verse 1, then Job replied, I have heard many things like these. Miserable, I don't have this one on the screen, so just listen. Miserable comforters are you all. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I could also speak like you if, if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. And on and on, and then Job just keeps pushing back on what these guys just said. When Bildad speaks in again on his round two, Bildad the Shuite replied, When will you end these speeches? Be sensible, and then we can talk. Why are we regarded as cattle and considered as stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself to pieces in your anger. You know, he's scratching himself with that pottery. 
Is the earth to be abandoned for your sake? Is it all about you, Job? Or must the rocks be moved from their places? The lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. The flame of his fire stops. Just straight up calls him wicked. You're a wicked guy, Job. There's the bottom line. Verse 19. He has no offspring or descendants among his people. No survivor where once he lived. Again, taking a shot at his kids. Men of the West are appalled at his fate. Men of the East are seized with horror. Surely such is the dwelling of an evil man. Such is the place of one who knows not God. Now, let me, let me back up for just a second. Started in the 12th century. It took it all the way to the 18th century with the Inquisition. It's, you know, the Inquisition courts. Roman Catholic Church put out a, a court system, basically, to correct heresy. And when you read all about the Inquisitions and uh, from, from a uh, deeply Protestant view, which I'm deeply Protestant, then it can make them all look like the Inquisitors, terrible, evil, evil, evil people. And no doubt, human heart is what it is. I'm sure some of them uh, took some sort of sadistic pleasure in torturing people because the Inquisition courts would use torture on people to get them to recant of what they considered heresy. But I'm sure, I'm guessing, that there were some of these guys that were right. I mean, their heart was right. They thought, think with them, their, their, their thought was, if these guys stay heretics, then when they die, they're going to hell. And so we've got to do whatever we can to keep them from going to hell. And if we have to use a little bit of torture and, and, and apply some pressure to keep them from going to hell, they're going to thank us in the afterlife. So no doubt some of the inquisitors were thinking, I'm guessing Job's friends are not evil. Remember, these are people who love him. They're dedicated to him. But... They think that Job is thinking wrong, that Job is understanding it incorrectly, that Job is blind, he's not owning his stuff. And so they're trying, working hard. When friends come at us when we're struggling, when we're blowing it, and they say stupid things, it's not a good thing. I mean, I'm with you. They're stupid things. They hurt. But to back up a little bit and recognize that at least they're there, that probably, give them a benefit of a doubt, they mean right. They are trying they're, they're doing what they think is right. Again, it doesn't excuse everything, but it helps us in, in dealing with them. Is there a place for correcting poor theology? Absolutely there is. Should we do that? Absolutely we should. But when the graves of their kids are very fresh, when they have been up all night for multiple nights, they're in excruciating pain, doubled over, it's probably not the time. It's probably not the time. Round three. Eliphaz, Eli speaks in, verse 21. He says, submit to God, Job. Be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Get all your stuff back. Remember, this is their thing. Get your stuff back. Accept instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. Job, this is, get your stuff back. This comes with all of these guys. They continue to say this. Get your stuff back. It's Satan's words. Good friends. Sharing bad advice. Get to Bildad, verse chapter 25. I don't have this on. Basically, all Bildad does is real short, just a few verses, kind of yells at him and says, Job, you're a sinner, a maggot, and a worm. I mean, what would you do when people don't listen to you? Just call them names and walk away, right? Just call names. All right, forget you. You're just not listening. You're an idiot. You're closed-minded. Just forget you. That's kind of what Bildad does. Again, so far, so... uh, Upset at this point, he's not even talking to him. I'm done. I just, I'm done. This guy's not listening. Forget it. I'm done. 
So what do we do with this? Job's will come up in your life because Job's story is your story and my story and our friend's story. When that happens, we can't run from it. We have to run to it. We don't want to be, we want to be like Job's friends in chapter 2. You know, they're real good. We don't want to be like them for the rest of the, their time. So what do we do? Well, a couple things. First thing you want to do is you want to accept the assignment as from God. If God has placed you in a situation where your, where your friend's life crashes, this is not someone else's job. This is an assignment he has given you. And he's prepared you for it, though you don't feel prepared for it. He has. He has. Um, next. Be there. I was in... A, a, I was actually candidating at my church in Wisconsin a gazillion years ago, it seems now. And um, that Saturday uh, night, I was going to be their youth pastor, and so I was meeting with it. And so Saturday afternoon, I met with the, the junior hires. And uh, Diane, who was a senior hire, couldn't make the evening because I was meeting with the senior hires in the evening. So she came in to be with me at the junior high, and so I let her be my assistant. We worked through. And then I was with the senior high uh, that uh, night. I uh, met, met her brothers. Next day, Sunday now, we're getting ready for church and we're getting ready to go into to, to service. And I'm seeing a guy standing outside the doors and I'm talking to him. And it was Diane and Mikey and Dan's uh, dad. And I'm shaking and saying, how are you doing? Got to know him. He says, yep, the girls should be here any minute. No, nah, they're not here yet. Nah. And so I went on in the service. About halfway through the service, the pastor gets a message. He's, someone comes up on stage, gives him a message. It says that uh, the wife's name was Lois. Lois and Diane and Katie, that was the little sister, were in a terrible car accident. Um, he has to go. So on his way out, he picked me up. We took off for the uh, hospital. We got there. We were met by the, the coroner. Uh, Lois and uh, Diane were killed. Uh, I, I deal. Uh, Katie busted up just huge. Uh, she ended up surviving. But we're sitting there... Uh, how much longer? Uh, Dan is, is 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 right next to us, and again, this is my candidate in weekends. I don't know any of these people. Dan is right there, and uh, his life just just lost his mom and his sister, and his his life just came to a radical shift. And his best friend Brent uh, came walking in, and uh, Brent was just bawling like a baby, and Brent just sat down next to him. I'm gonna come and cry just telling you, and just was crying as he was telling. As he didn't say anything, just started. This was crying. And so Dan and Brent just, and he didn't, I don't know if there was too much of hugging. I didn't give him a hug. They just, he just sat there, put his head down right next to him and just bawled, just bawled. Just to be there. It's a, you don't know what to do? Yeah, you do. Be there. Just be there. Also be a friend. Concentrate on Romans twelve fifteen. Boy, this is huge. Mourn with those who mourn. It doesn't say fix the problem of those who mourn or try to cheer up those who mourn. You can't do that. Or, or give good advice to those who mourn. No, no, no. Mourn with those who mourn. I can mourn. I don't have lots of wisdom. I don't have lots of answers. But I can mourn. I can be with the people and mourn. Use your words wisely. Now, these guys did say some good things. We say that all their sin was when they opened their mouth. But, yeah, but they did say some good things. Here, we're, Acknowledge the situation. To, to pretend like it didn't happen is not going to help them at all. Uh, I, I heard that so-and-so died. Or I heard that your folks are splitting up. Or 
I heard that you lost your, your job. Acknowledge, just acknowledge the situation. Uh, express concern. I'm so, so sorry. That's the most wisdom you need. I'm so, so sorry. Be genuine. You're thinking, I don't know what to say. You can say, I don't know what to say, but I just want you to know I care. And then ask at some point how they feel. Don't just assume you know how they feel. When I was uh, really sick, they thought it was brain cancer at this point, and I went into my church, and everybody kind of, it was interesting. We can get into that. It was a whole interesting thing. By one of my kids, as a youth pastor, one of my kids came to me, and uh, no one else was around. And uh, she said, uh, you could tell she was really bothered. And she said, Mark, Pastor Mark, are you afraid? That was such, I mean, I remember that so well. It was such a power. No one had asked me. No one, I don't want to say no one had cared, but no one had thought about that. But I was able to stop and be introspective for a minute. You know, I guess I am a little bit. I think I am. I'm not so afraid about dying right now. I'm afraid for my family. I'm afraid for those things. I guess what I'm supposed to do is just trust him. It's to trust him. Uh, so ask how they feel. Next. This is what not to say. <laughs> it's real important. It's real important. And some of these things will, are truthful things. But it's not, again, timing is everything. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word fitly spoken. That means at the right time. Timing is huge. It's God's will. Oh, don't say that. Ultimately, is it true? Yeah, don't say that. Next. Look at all the things you have to be grateful for. You know, again, we're trying to cheer them up. They're hard, they're, they're, their focus is here and they're crying and we want to turn their focus. Maybe our hearts are right. We want to encourage them somehow. That's not the question to ask or the thing to say. I know how you feel. No, you don't. Uh, when my dad died, uh, I didn't have much of an emotional relationship with my father. He wasn't a, wasn't a bad man. We just emotionally, he wasn't involved and we were there. I've got a buddy right now whose dad is dying and they've been best friends and they've seen each other. They work together. Uh, his dad built the church and then turned it over to his son. His son's in, in, in just a close, godly, mentor relationship. Do I know how he feels? I don't know how he feels. Or a dad that actually would maybe beat and abuse, and then he dies without that resolve. Do I know how that guy feels? I don't know how he feels. You don't know how the other person... You may have been along some of this stuff, but you don't know. Don't assume you do. Uh, don't worry. Everything will be fine. Oh. People call me up. Don't worry, Mark. It's going to be okay. Oh, I saw the, 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 the x-rays. It's not going to be okay. I'm telling you. Next. He's in a better place. Now, this is true. Yes, of course it's true. They don't, that's not, what they know that already. They don't need, next. You'll see him again someday. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. They know that. And if they had the gall at that point, they would call you what Job called the count, his counselors. Don't say, I promise, dot, 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 with promises you can't keep. I remember I got so sick. I was in a mess and we had good friends from the church that came over. They're a few years older than Therese and I. And they said, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to come to your house every Friday night so you guys can go on a date. We're just going to watch your kids. We're, we're going to do that for you. We just will. We just will. And that lasted one week. And then we would call, and they had different things going on, or they would not pick up. And, on and, on. and 
you know, their heart was just bigger than their calendar. I mean, I got that. I understand that. But don't promise things you can't fulfill. You just don't want to do that. Or this is a winner, right? You should be over this by now. When that, that gal died, uh, her, the car accident, um, two boys, Mikey and Dan. Mikey was just, he's just an extroverted guy. So he just bawled uh, out in front of everybody. He shared his heart continuously. His emotions are always on his sleeve. Blah, blah. I think he'd gone through his grieving process in about six months. He was fine. Dan, major introverted guy. He just did not, he did not want to talk about it. He did not talk about it. I was his youth pastor. I'm trying to give him a ride home, trying to get him to talk about it. Wouldn't talk about it. Finally, I said, okay, Dan, here's the deal. Um, when you're ready, I want you to know. You come tell me. I'll, I'll talk to you about it. It's about two years later. Dan came to me. I sat down in my office, said, I'm ready. I knew exactly what he meant. People just grieve different. People just do, grieve different. Thanks. Uh, is things you can do. Eli, Billy, and Zoe, when they would tear their robes, they would cry. They would sit with Job. They put dust in their heads. They would do what they were in the uh, day, way of the time. They were mourning with their friend. Here's some things you can do practical. Uh, give them a call. Don't just say, what do you want me to do for you? Or you need something done. Or if you need something done, call me. I say this once in a while. What, that's a useless thing. Um, but you can say, listen, I'm going to the grocery store. What can I pick you up? Just say, don't, don't say, you want me to drop off food. No one wants to be a burden. You say, I want to drop off dinner. Is it best for you to, for me to drop it off tonight or tomorrow night? And then when you drop it off, you know, it's a disposable thing. Nothing. They've got to wash and clean and get back to you. Something that maybe they can freeze. Uh, especially with a, an accidental death, stay in his or her home. Fielding calls, handling the guests, that kind of thing. Help them with insurance or business issues. Again, if it's a sudden deal, you know that people may not be ready for this. They may not have made plans. They, maybe the husband took care of all of that. The wife has no clue. Uh, or vice versa. Asked to help with that. Look after his or her pets. Uh, offer to go on a walk with them. Take them to a movie or lunch. Go to them to a support group. If, in fact, I'll tell you a great, great, great resource. If, in fact, the issue is the death, a death, we have something we call grief share. And it's running all the time. So you don't have to wait three months to get in on it. You can come now. So let me tell you, by the way, on the back in your bulletin, you have a little card. If you're not, didn't know we had grief share, but you're thinking for yourself or somebody else, I might be interested in information about that. If you flip over your little card and you just check I'm interested in, and then just write, should be a pencil in the pew in front of you, grief share. We'll be sure and get you information on that. And certainly, pray for them. Let me ask you a couple questions. Do you have a Job-type situation in your life? Not you, a, an acquaintance, a friend, family, somebody that you've really been running from. You don't think you've been running from, you just haven't moved towards it. But really, you need to move towards. It's an assignment that God has given you. You need to move towards. You need to mourn with them. You just need to mourn with them. Uh, Second question. Are you in a life group? You know, if you're not connected to a small group somehow, close, 
when the Job thing happens to you, you won't have anybody who's going to pour, who build, be around you. Proverbs 17, 17, great verse. It says, a friend loves at all time, and a brother is born for adversity. It's a great verse. One of the reasons why God gives you close people in your life is for adversity, to help you in trouble, to support you, because we can't make it alone. And if you're not in a life group and you're thinking, ah, we probably should do that, back of your card, I'm interested in, check it, write life group, and we'll just get you the information. It's not a commitment to anything. We'll just get you the information on where we're going with that. As you think through those jobs that you might have in your life that you might be walking from, instead, away from instead of towards, uh, you think about your own heart, whether it's that you need grief share or you need a, need a life group, what is it that perhaps the Holy Spirit would have said to you through the lesson of Job's friends? Maybe just how you should respond, what you should do. Maybe take a moment and pray with me. As we ask you, God, to remind us if we're not in a situation right now, to not hurt people, not drive people away from you. But God, may we be a church truly that mourns with those who mourn. May I be such a person, Father. God, may we be people who love at all times, not just when it's sunny. May we model, follow the model of Job's friends on the front end when they left their busyness to go and invest and cry with. And then God, at the right time, would you give us the right words? And God, for those in the congregation this this morning who are really in Job's place, they're at the end of their rope, they're beside themselves in so many ways that we might not know. Their friends may not have a clue, but you do. Would you inspire by your Holy Spirit? Would you even give some of the friends some insight to know to speak in to their lives? I would pray that that would be so. And God, even as we, we, we give back now a little bit of that which you've given to us, would you use it, Lord, to make us a place of healing, make this a place where we mourn with those who mourn, where your kingdom is built here in Erie and beyond. I pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.